0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. And get ready to receive a word from God.
1: The Lord is good. Amen. Well, do you have the reigning spirit? Yeah. Now, I know Pastor Mark is a teacher. In fact, I require that, you know, when he comes down. Because here's the thing that takes place. When you get in a pulpit, just in case you didn't know, that whatever the anointing in that house, it becomes really easy to stay in that vein because there's an anointing there. So it's going to be easy for me to teach because there's an anointing to teach here. But I'm not a teacher, all right? Um, You know, I tend to preach more. Uh, So when Pastor Mark comes, when he gets into my pulpit, again, it becomes easier to move over into a preaching anointing. But we need each other's gifts, all right? And so, you know, the thing with teaching is that uh, sometimes, uh, which again, they can teach, right, so that you can have the proper response. But obviously when teaching comes, it becomes such line upon line, precept upon precept, and that your mind is being blown that you find yourself quiet. (laughs) But when you preach, you expect response, Because you realize, really, in every case, you should respond when you get revelation. Meaning, when something impacts your mind, you should be, praise God. You know, that's not distracting, that's acknowledgement, right? And you should give voice to when something starts to resonate in your spirit that you realize, this is going to help me. Man, that's what I've been waiting for. Oh my gosh, that is something I needed to hear. And it's not irreverent to say, well, amen, praise the Lord. Even to stand up and go, glory to God, and shout. there's No problem there. Amen? Because I would never stop someone that if I was preaching and all of a sudden they realized that they needed to be born again to get out from their seat, come down here and say, what must I do to be saved? And be like, I'm not done. Go back and sit down. I'll give an altar call later. Well, obviously we would not do that. We were like, well, let's do this right now. Praise God. You know, because you understand the first altar call recorded the people asked how to be born again. Peter didn't say, you want to be born again now? They didn't ask. But the church, you know, everybody's like, well, now wait. Like we're waiting for something. Why wait? Receive, begin to act, activate. Same thing. If you started to get revelation and, uh, and healing was being ministered and you received healing in your, in your seat, you ought to jump up, shout, testify. I got my healing right now. I mean, Peter's in the middle of preaching and seeing their faith. He said, get up and walk. He didn't wait till the end when the healing line was there. Now, here's the thing. He could see faith respond. And so we need to all respond to faith and what we're hearing. Amen. So, you know, if I think you're too quiet, I'm going to say, did you hear me? Or I'm going to say, you know, I'll make you repeat. Just get you participating. All right. Amen. Amen. First Timothy chapter four verse one. First Timothy chapter four verse one. So excited to be here. I always love to be here. You know, Pastor Mark and I. You know, we try to schedule where I can come a couple times a year. Last year we did horrible at that, um, but I traveled a whole lot and um, found myself not. But I, you know, I need to be here uh, because we do have nine churches and um, we're looking at planting more. You know, you're a part of something really big. That was never technically in my radar that we would do that, but ultimately, based upon What we preach, because we know that what we preach, not everybody preaches. Um, The Lord is requiring us to do some more. I would say this, if you're called to ministry, you're at a great place. And if you show yourself faithful, then you know what? You might be launched out. Pastor Mark and Ashley, I mean, they came, again, single, got married, and then just served. And the next thing you know, the call of God manifests in their life, and the reason they're here today overseeing this work is because they were faithful to another man's. Now, you could almost say they're still doing that, right? Because really, at the end of the day, any minister is being faithful to somebody else's something, either the organization they're connected to or definitely needs to be to God specifically, right? Because, you know, the church is not mine. The church is the Lord's, Amen. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says this, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now understand, the Holy Spirit is talking here, and it says He explicitly says, which means this is going to happen, which means we cannot have a prayer meeting and pray that people that are born again, that when the latter days come, just before the return of Jesus, that nobody falls away. The Spirit says, Some will. Some will. That means people who know Jesus Christ is Lord, people who have repented of their sin, they're born of God, they have the Holy Spirit inside them, bearing witness with their spirit, they're children of God. They may even be uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit and have the language of the kingdom and have the power of God, and yet, because of th- something we're going to talk about today, and Pastor Mark's already ministered on it to a degree as well, is that they will pay attention. They will give ear to things that are being said. And notice it's called doctrines of demons, which means it's going to have a lot of scripture associated with it, but will be wrongly interpreted. Even the devil during the temptation of Christ says, It is written. It is written, before the fall of Adam, the devil asked the question, what did God say? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you understand, seducing spirits, one translation says, deceiving spirits here, and doctrines of demons, they must go to the Bible first in order to turn around and try to convince you That what you know about the Bible, they're right. And you should follow their interpretation. And it will be easy for those who are not in it. there will be easy. Because you understand, I would even surmise that 90 to 95% of all professing Christians in the United States are ignorant... Of the Word of God and that the majority of them have this existence I ask Jesus to come into my heart and save me so that when I die I go to heaven and I'm gonna live a good life down here be good to others because I know that's what Jesus would want and I'm gonna tell people about Jesus although I've never read his book and then I'm gonna you know work hard have a nice house good job retirement Be a good person, be neighborly, you know, using certain little scriptures that they have heard about or sung about, and wait to go to heaven. And those people will be the most susceptible to getting off. Because when he says some, now notice he didn't say a lot, didn't say many, said some. But again, the United States is not the only place that has born again believers. There are 335 million, not counting the border issue, okay, that are U.S. citizens, okay, that are from the United States, all right? There are 8 billion people on the planet. It is said that potentially there are about 1 billion people on the planet that are professing believers. Well, we know the United States all 335 million are not are not. but let's give half, though that's most likely not correct, but we're going for the sake of argument, we're going to say half. So about a hundred and you know 70 million people are born again in the United States compared to the 1 billion that's just over what percent? About 10%. Which means if all the U.S. Christians fell away, that would only be some in a global perspective. All Guess, right, y'all. <laughs> Man, I'm not past the first verse. Y'all gonna have to help me out better than this, okay? <laughs> there are some sobering thoughts here. But again, at the end of the day, my point is, is don't think you're not susceptible because you're in the, the the land of the brave, the home of the free and the land of the brave. Don't think that. And don't think going to heaven is your way of making sure or is a guarantee that you're not going to fall away. It is not at all. The Holy Spirit says that in these latter times, because of deception, some will fall away from the faith. That is faith in Jesus Christ, paying attention. That means they'll listen to other things more than what God is saying, all right? John 4, 1 John 4, 1 says it this way. I'm going read out of the Passion. It says, um, delightfully, loved friends, don't trust every spirit, but carefully examine what they say to determine if they are of God because many false prophets have mingled into the world. Okay, so again, First John is talking to believers. He says, listen, you can't trust every spirit. In fact, the majority of the body of Christ, when I say the majority, I mean the church at, at large, is completely ignorant of the spirit realm. They have a knowledge that there is a spirit realm. But they, have no, they have no context of how it functions at all, period. Okay, and because of that, they don't know how to address it. Or guard themselves from it. Just say amen. Now most believers, you understand, they know there's demons, but they don't ever want to get around one. I remember one time my mom, I was at Assembly God Church and a lady came and she sure enough had a spirit about her. And my pastor rebuked it. She's raised in the Baptist church. She considered herself more Baptist than she did Bible. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Because there are a lot of people that, you know what, well, they named their denomination. Well, I thought you were a believer. I mean, you should be a Bible person. Why are you identifying with a denomination? Right? And she left. <laughs> well, she didn't, she had no idea she had authority. You know what she was afraid of? He'd get on her. And the truth is, he could have. Because she would have had no way to defend herself although she's born of God. Amen. You know, it's amazing the sometimes arrogance of us as believers. That because we know when we die we're going to go to heaven, you know, we will just kind of disdain certain teachings and try to go about, well, you know, when I die I'm going to go to heaven. That's all that matters. That is not all that matters. Jesus did not come to the planet just so you can leave it. He came to the planet so he could be in you, so that his kingdom could function through you, so you could actually represent it, and then he calls you to have victory over everything. Amen. He never wanted you to accept the thought that, and that, which is a, you know, really it's the way the enemy can get, infiltrate your mind, is to convince you that nothing else about God is necessary. And number one way that he does this is to tell you, well, nobody really understands it anyway, so you know, who can you trust, so it'd be better just to stay away from it. Well, that's not true. There are people who do know that realm because they've studied it, and they keep their actions and their communication in line with the Word and see the result of it. Amen. So he tells us that we are to test every spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit. And just because someone is saying terms that come from the Bible, like heaven, you know, you know, the golden rule, you know, well, you know, we just need to forgive everybody. It sounds scriptural. There's certain things that are being said, and we just take a hook, line, and sinker. Now, I was in youth ministry a long time ago, and I remember back in the day there was a, A particular band, Uh, I don't know why I always miss this band uh, name up. So Pastor, I don't know, you're too young, you probably won't be able to help me. Collective Soul, that's who it is. Thank you, Lord. Collective Soul had a song out, Heaven Let Your Light Shine Down. And my youth wanted me to do it as a worship song. (laughs) Yeah, in in church. Oh, Heaven Let Your Light Shine Down, because it's heaven. (laughs) Well, bless their darling hearts, you know, and their stupid heads. They didn't know any better, right? And you're like, no, we're not doing this. This is this is not worshiping God at all, right? Yet, there are plenty of worship songs today that are no, and i am come, they're from believers that are really no different than collective souls. But you don't know this if you don't rightly divide. In fact, if you are at Anchor Bay Church long enough, you may hear a song that's popular and go, well... It doesn't sound like that on the radio. Right. Because we change words. Because we do not say things that aren't of the word of God. Amen. And again, someone in their heart's right, they want to serve God, but their knowledge of God isn't there. And so they say things. And again, I'm not saying they're trying to, you know, uh, teach God wrong intentionally, but the reality is, if you've been here at Anchor Faith Church long enough, you know that you came in with some thoughts. Pastor Mark taught something, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to change my thinking now. And then you're glad you, you got rid of that, and you're no longer thinking that way anymore. But you love Jesus, but then you realize, wow, there was a whole lot about him I didn't even know. Correct? So we are to examine every spirit the Bible tells us, to carefully examine, to determine if it's actually of God. And there's not enough churches out there empowering their congregation to determine whether what they're hearing is actually of God or not. And in these last days, it's going to be extremely difficult. Proverbs 14, 15, the Passion Translation says it this way, a gullible person will believe anything, but a sensible person will confirm the facts. Now, I'm not telling you to be critical, but I am telling you that you need to question and determine whether or not what's being said is said. Now, I say this in St. Augustine all the time. I say, do not believe what I'm saying because I say it Search the scriptures yourself to determine if it's so. Because at the end of the day, you're no, long, you're not going to be able to ward off the spirit realm uh, off of my revelation. And I'm, a, and I'm a, That's why Paul said I really love the Bereans because they didn't accept the word that I said just because I preached it. They searched the scripture to see if it was so. I need to see if it's so. I heard what Paul saying, and man, my spirit was like, "Woo, that's good stuff!" But I need to make sure myself. That way I go through it. That way I know it for me. Because if you don't know it for me, for your own revelation, although it is accurate, it will get you in trouble with the spirit realm. Do we have evidence of this in the Bible? Sure we do. There were seven sons of a left-handed scribe. Seven sons of Sceva. That's a left-handed Pharisee. And they went to exercise dominion, authority over the spirit realm. And they find a guy that is demon-possessed, and they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches about, to come out. And the spirit that possessed this guy spoke through this guy and, and said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we have heard about. Now, why would they have heard about Paul? Because Paul was operating in the authority of Jesus' name because he knew the revelation of being a kingdom citizen in the kingdom and that the devil was a defeated foe and he had authority over the realm of the devil and he could cast them out of people. However, these boys, although they were factually correct that the name of Jesus had authority and they had a natural witness and believed that What Paul was doing was of God, but they themselves did not have the personal revelation of this. And as a result of that, the Spirit rose up in the guy, gave him supernatural strength, and he beat all seven of them and stripped them of all their clothes. And this is what most believers are looking like today in the earth. They're born again. They know Jesus Christ is Lord, but they do not know how to function in his kingdom. They start to engage in the realm of the spirit, don't realize it. And the realm of the spirit strips them, beats them naked and gets them running in life. And they were never designed, you were never designed to get beat up your whole life and stripped naked of your resources. Never. Never. Where you're always run. What the devil's been trying to run me down. That's somebody that doesn't know who they are. The devil's been on me forever. He just keeps coming. Someone testifying like that don't know who they are. And they're giving more glory to the power of God. I mean, to the power of the devil than to the power of God. But again, most of them like, but it's all right. I'm going to be with him one day. Like it's okay to be beat up and ran down constantly and in constant trials by the devil. The devil cannot, number one, he's not God. Number two, he's not everywhere all the time. So again, most of the people who are confessing that the devil's running him down, it's not even the devil there anyway. He wouldn't even waste his time with you because you're no threat to him. You're no threat. I mean, if you study the Bible, the the, the the devil himself is only, has only t- mentioned a few people's names that he got personally involved with. He got involved about the, the, the body of Moses. He got involved with Job's life. And then he got involved with Jesus. Paul himself had a messenger from Satan. All these people act like the prince of the power of the air is personally coming after you. He might not even know you exist. Because he's not all-knowing. And his demon realm, really your flesh, is enough to keep you off his radar. Wow. Hallelujah. Now you understand, we'll probably release this somewhere. We're talking to everybody outside of this room. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So... <laughs> We, have, we can't be gullible people because gullible people constantly find themselves just doing everything. You know, you're buying the t-shirts, you got the stuff on, you're listening to everybody on YouTube. Every little thing that came through Instagram and Facebook, you're telling somebody about. And yet we've not even vetted it. We've not even studied it ourselves. We're not even taking the time. I mean, people will attack doctrine without even studying doctrine. Proverbs 27, 12 says it this way, a prudent man out of the Amplified sees evil and hides himself and avoids it, but the naive, who are easily misled, continue on and are punished by suffering the consequences of sin. The easy to read version says it this way, it says, wise people see trouble coming and get out of its way, but fools go straight to the trouble and suffer for it. Now, too often, again, when believers read this, they're like, well, that's not me, I'm born again. Again. A born-again believer can be a fool. In fact, Paul calls born-again believers not wise. He says they're infants. And an infant, though it may have the potential to become wise, at the moment of infancy is not. They're so smart, but they poop in their pants all the time. Right? Right? They just go all over themselves. You're so wise. <laughs> no, how do they learn how to go to the potty? You train them. So the ability to poop as a result of being born a person doesn't mean you know how to poop properly. So being born something doesn't mean you can do it right. All right. Automatically, (laughs) you need to understand being born again alone does not automatically mean you can know the difference between good and evil. Just because you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you accepted him. He did not accept you. You accepted him. Because what you were, he couldn't accept. And that's what, that right there alone is one of the deceptive things that is in the church today. It's a doctrine of demons. The Lord accepts you just as you are. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. Now, how do they reinforce it? Because you can't do anything. You can't make yourself better. Well, that's true. Obviously, you can't make yourself right with God. That's true. But to say that he accepts you as you are is not true. Because as you are, he had to go to the cross. So it's better to say Jesus saw you as you were, and it was unacceptable. But he can make you different. Now, you can't make the change. He'll make the change in you the minute you accept him. Now, that's more accurate because now it's not God accepting you in your sin so that when you get in the kingdom, you can still sin. It's God seeing you in your sin state that's unacceptable, and then he becomes your sin so that you can become his righteousness. So when you get to the door called the cross and you confess your sin and you call him Lord, then he strips you. He pulls out of you the dead spirit that is a sinner and he puts in you a new creature in Christ so that when you walk through the threshold of the door, now you're a new species of being acceptable to God, and the old man is dead and outside the door. But full churches run off that doctrine of demons. God accepts you just like you are. God's not mad at you. God has wrath stored up for every sinner. It is a lie to say God's not mad. That is not a true statement. God can be angry and still be patient and long-suffering and merciful. It is not a true statement. It's a doctrine of demons to say God's not mad at you. God is angry and has wrath stored up for every sin. The good news is, is you can get out of yours. And he's long-suffering for you, and he's merciful to you, and he's patient for you. But at the end of the day, make no mistake, if you don't come in, wrath is coming. So to say he's not mad is not true. It's just not a true statement. It's a doctrine of demons. But most people can't discern that. Because they're not in the word. Paul addresses this, or at least the writer of Hebrews, many believe it is Paul. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, y'all doing all right? He says, concerning him, meaning Jesus, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Pastor Mark ministered last week on what? Hearing. If all you do is hear, you're guaranteed to be deceived. Isn't that empower? I mean, how mind-blowing is James? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving themselves. Which means you got people, all people, full, full church, full of people that are hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word. And because they don't ever do it, they are the truth that can set them free. Now they're using it to keep them in bondage. And it's the easiest thing to determine whether you're a hearer only. Are you a doer of what you're hearing? And the first indicator that you are a deceived person is when you justify and reason out why you can't do what God said based upon your condition, situation, or whatever. It's an indicator. But you don't want anyone to tell, man, you're you're deceived right now you're not a doer you're not doing it you're not doing it you have justified why that scripture is not applied to your life and why you can continue to act like this and you reinforce it with other scriptures okay hallelujah amen so he goes on and says this verse 12 for though by this time you ought to be teachers You have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to uh, need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only, yes, Lord, thank you, uh, of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Being born again is not training, it's entrance. I said it's entrance, I'll give you a great example. Back in uh, uh, 1989, I enlisted in the Army. I was going going to be in the Army National Guard, and so I enlisted. It was a delayed entry, and so then in in 90 uh, January, I went off to basic training um, uh, at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Now, in 1989... Uh, That summer when I enlisted and did the delayed entry, I would go to a drill, and when I go to the drill once a month, they actually did these um, pre-basic trainings for us that were in delayed entry, so you'd be prepared once you hit basic training. The pre-basic training was tougher than the actual basic training, just to let you know, because obviously those National Guard guys really wanted to feel like they were drill sergeants, and they did a really good job. Uh, you know, trying to tell you what to do for a weekend. I mean, they basically crammed eight weeks into two days. So when I got to base training, that was gravy train. Anyway, my point is, is that I raised my right hand and I am in the army now, but I am not trained because if they had put me on a ship and ran me to the front lines and gave me an M16, because that's what we had at the time, and I started shooting, I would have died because I could have not shot anyone. Because I would not have known how to zero my weapon, how to get it in range. Because once that thing gets zeroed in, you're dead. I mean, it's that accurate. But until then, it's not accurate. And there ain't no amount of trying to adjust stuff. Because the guys in basic that were used to their little shotguns, you know, and killing their deers and all that stuff, they kept wanting to adjust on their own, and they had the worst time and the worst scores. Man, I killed all these bucks. I did this, that, and the other. Man, you stink, man. I, I don't ever want a hunter in the foxhole with me. Seriously. Because they can't get rid of their tradition of how to, they don't let the weapon do it for them. If they don't retrain their mind to let the weapon do it for them, I don't want you in the foxhole. I don't want you with me, because you're putting your trust in your ability instead of what this thing's designed. Because once they zero it in, forget about it. You 300 yards out, you're gone. You're gone. It's that accurate. I have an a, a AR15 now that my friend and I, who's in the army, uh, we went and did some, you know zeroed it in. And we were doing this berm, had a tennis ball down there. It was like 100 yards away, tennis ball. And I had my little scope. We were hitting that tennis ball like nothing, kept bouncing it up the hill, like nothing. It was boring. It's so accurate. Boring. We had to pull our pistols out to try to do something different. It was boring. It's like all the time, I get tennis ball, no problem. We're bouncing it. I'm hitting around. He's hitting around. And we're bouncing it up the hill. And I hadn't fired in probably 30 years because once I was trained, the muscle memory came right back and once I zeroed it, it's over, hallelujah, so you want to come find me if there's an apocalyptic deal, bring your weapons, we'll be all right, hallelujah, amen, if all we had to do is uh, uh, trust in the natural, come see me. But thank God there's a spirit realm that we don't even have to raise a weapon. But we're not preaching that message today. So again, there's a training here that has to take place in order for you to train. So you can't just walk around and say, well, I'm a believer. So I know what's good and what's bad. No, you don't. Especially if you're just in elementary teachings. So guys, I don't have this, but the Holy Ghost told me to go on. Would you go ahead and flip on over to Ephesians chapter 6? In verse 1, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, I'm going to jump over there with you in my own Bible. Uh, What translation was I in? Was that the New American Standard? Probably, when I read that. Y'all doing all right? Fixing to gear this thing up. So if you, this, again, we do chapter and verse, but actually this is a conversation continuing because he already mentioned about you are having to, I got to go back to elementary teaching with you because you become dull of hearing. You, you, you're not. You're not. You're not practicing things that are being spoken. And so, as a result of that, I cannot. You should actually be training people, but you act like you're infants again. And so, instead of me continuing with you because of your lack of doing, I'm going to have to go back and teach elementary stuff. Okay? Because the things that I talk about are for the mature, and it's only them when they're trained in it they can discern good and evil. And at the point, I know you can't because you're. Are running and and assimilating with evil. And you think it's good. The Bible tells us there is a time in society. That what is good. What is good. Will be called evil. And what is evil will be called good. If you're an untrained believer. You won't know when it switches. That's why there are denominations today. That are acknowledging certain sexual sins, really all sexual sins, just be honest, all sexual sins as okay. Like it's good because God accepts everybody. All right. Pastor Mark, I may need to come and teach on love here. I I taught on love back at the house on a Wednesday night and did not release it because people can't handle it because one of the most, I'm not going to say it, forget it, (laughs) Hebrews chapter six, I need to come back and preach on love. I need a weekend. I need like three days. I can do it in three days, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. I can do it. Took me five weeks at the house. <clears throat> not because you're you're smarter. <laughs> it's because I got it out, and I think I can condense it now. Okay. Um, it goes on into Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Now here are here's elementary teaching. Because again, if all you're in is elementary teaching, you cannot discern good and evil. Because you're not trained in righteousness. Okay. Therefore, leave the elementary teachings about the Christ. Here are elementary teachings about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance. So if all we're preaching is you need to repent and be born again, that's elementary. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's salvation message. The salvation message is elementary, And if that's all you know, you cannot discern good and evil. Okay, I'm going to say it again. If all you know is the salvation message, you cannot discern between good and evil. And I'm not saying this. The Bible is saying this. So if you're getting offended, get offended with the scripture. Don't tell me I can't. You can't, and that's the problem. Is that you all of a sudden take a position that you know? Oh yeah, I can't. No, you can't, because it's elementary. Elementary teachings does not move you to maturity, and it keeps you in a place that you cannot determine the difference between good and evil. The next one is of, is of instructions of washings. This is baptisms. This is water baptism. And baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's elementary. Which if you know about being born again, you know about being water baptized, and you know about being baptized in the Holy Ghost, you cannot discern, goodness, if this is all you know, the laying on of hands. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. You can be healed through the laying on of hands. You can be released into ministry through the laying on of hands. All of that is elementary teachings. Then it goes on, and resurrection of the dead, which means we are going to live in heaven forever, thought. The dead is going to be resurrected, right? The dead is going to be resurrected, Eternal meaning those that are born of God will be resurrected with Christ, and we're going to be with him forever. Then those who are in the grave, the resurrection of the dead, they will be judged eternally. That is all elementary. So if all you know is about the salvation of God, water baptism, the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues, the laying on of hands of receiving it that way, also of um, uh, releasing people into ministry or healing the sick and concerning the end time rewards of the saints and the, um, you know, uh, casting into the lake of fire of those, if that's all you know, then you cannot discern good and evil. Now, you can do a quick evaluation to determine where you're at. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I heard this, I'd be like, I got to know more. Right? Because you know what? I I won't have too many believers technically argue, per se, that when Jesus says you can't serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, mammon, money. And most believers are like that's right. You got to serve God, don't you serve money? Yet most of them are serving money, because they can't discern good and evil, and can't determine can't deter, see that just because money's not easily accessible or you're not you know doing way better that all of a sudden every time an opportunity comes it must be God. But the reason you can't serve both is because Jesus said you can't. We believe Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the father but by believing life. like, that's it. But yet the same Lord who told the Holy Ghost to tell the writer of Hebrews that anybody who only knows these elementary principles concerning me, they cannot discern good and evil because they're not trained in righteousness. We would actually argue with Jesus himself. Because we have adopted another doctrine of demons. It's called Union Christians. I've been in the church for 30 years now. Well, you may have been in preschool for 30 years. Say amen. You may have been in preschool for 30 years. Because you understand, if you stay in Treasure Harbor Preschool, all the teachers are going to teach you is elementary stuff. I mean, technically not even elementary stuff to some degree, but it, but it is because obviously we do more teaching than just babysitting. Okay, And so as a result of that, if you stay with those teachers and stay in those classrooms because you like them, and you get your free time and your play time and your nap time, And you're not going to go to trigonometry, people. You're not doing it. I've been here for 30 years. Don't care. I've been serving the Lord for 30 years. That may be debatable. What are you basing your servant, ser- serving on? Are you ser- basing it on the scripture or the fact that you showed up to church for 30 years consistently? Because there's no union position. Listen, you came to a place that will grow you. Growing you is supposed to stretch you, hurt you, you know, (laughs) be unkind to your flesh and your unrenewed mind. It is to force you to have to choose between life and death, because the things we teach here are not just right and wrong. Right and wrong is the smallest part. It's life and death. But we don't look at the word as life and death most of the time. We look at it as our right and our wrong. And if we can determine what our right and our wrong with enough Scripture laced in, then we're going to be good enough. Hallelujah. Now, at the end of the day, most people believe this because they've never read this Scripture. Or they hadn't read it in so long, they forgot it existed. Or no one's ever tied that together and say, these teachings keep you in a state of immaturity. Now, that doesn't mean we don't teach them. That just means we go on beyond them. Hallelujah. That's why I challenge you to talk to me, because I knew you might get tight. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Again, we have the reigning spirit. But in order to have the reigning spirit do what he does best in reigning, we have to yield, we have to be trained, we have to submit ourselves to his rulership, so that he can produce rulership in us. Amen? Hallelujah. So we see then that we have to go on. We can't just be uh, a society that doesn't read the word. We no longer can the church uh, function effectively at all if they do not become well-versed in Scripture. We must become, and it is not the job of the pastor to be well-versed. It's equally your responsibility to read it yourself. How many of you doing the Bible reading plan this year? Everyone should be doing the Bible reading plan. Well, I've already read it once. You read it once? I mean, that's like saying you made love to your wife once. Come on now. I mean, that's like saying I was intimate one time. Really? Something's wrong with your marriage. Something's wrong. Said, Pastor Earl, there's kids in here. I'm glad there's kids in here. Amen. I mean, we like read one, read it once, and like we're done. No, it's God speaking to us. It is life. We should be devouring this thing all the time. Every year. This is our 20th year, which is going to be our 20th year reading the Bible all the way through. Doing it again. And I learned so much because he's always talking. But again, you can't dupe me because I can say, wait a minute, the scripture says. So when I hear the deceiving spirit or I hear a doctrine of demon, I'm like, that ain't right. Now, I didn't get it all initially. It took me going through it for years, especially when it came to love. And I began to realize I got a problem with that statement because I cannot find it in scripture. And 98% of all Christians use it. And it's wrong. And because it's wrong, it has set up every other doctrine of demons. Yeah. But I only discovered that because I actually read the scripture for myself and I got tired of just believing that somebody said something. Well, you know, the person who has the right is the Lord. And when we get his, then you can't prove me wrong. I remember when I first saw the kingdom. Pastor Mark, you can verify this. We had not seen this. We always, to be honest, kingdom was just heaven. Kind of the association. We never literally looked at kingdom as a government. A literal government. Why? Because there was a seducing spirit. Not intentional, but again, it weaved its way into the church through a letter that a church wrote to Thomas Jefferson concerning a wall of separation between the state, and the church, and so it's our mantra. We have a separation of church and state. Government can't tell us what to do. Well, the problem is we are government, and governments converse with governments. So the reality is, this government, as an ambassador, if I was ever elected, I should be and uh, I should be electing the king before my constituents. Oh, y'all don't want to hear that. That's fine, because his kingdom actually is an overwhelming and more dominant kingdom, and all others are going to fall to his. But So we we get out of politics. We stay away from, you know, we're not going to be political. We're not even going to talk about it. Well, because we don't talk about it, now what are we in? But now Christians have traded Christianity for being a conservative. Oh, y'all don't want to hear this. Okay. I'm going to talk about it because I'm right in the middle of the South, people, and I'm North Florida, you're South Georgia. We're not much different. Okay? And at the end of the day... We take more of a cause of being a conservative, at least others, some. And again, I, you, we have problems with liberal. You know, Jesus is pretty liberal. Oh, y'all don't want to hear that either. That's fine. You understand, there are policies that are liberal that actually come from the kingdom. But if you don't read the Bible, you don't know that. Both of them have an extreme, but if you are not trained in righteousness... You think your Savior, people think their Savior is, is a guy's name. Oh, man, I, I can't even go here. Forget it. Amen, I'll lose you. Thank you, Jesus. We need to come back. <laughs> preach on love. We're doing rise. We are doing kingdom rise. I right, write this down. I'm going to deal with government in kingdom rise. We have an election year, people. And the problem is, if every church that truly believed that Jesus is Lord, if they only followed the principles of the word rightly divided, the whole nation would change in two election cycles. And the candidate being born again or not is irrelevant. Hallelujah I can teach you how to vote. you think you know but you don't because there's a why in your voting a motive in your voting so some can get get a right vote with the wrong motive and still bring division And that's why most Christians have changed their Doctrine for being a conservative. Why? Because they're angry. They're not walking in love. All right. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I mean, we get to go till 2 here, right? Because I'm surprised and astonished. That you are so quickly turning, renegade, and deserting him who invited you and called you by the grace unmerited favor of Christ the Messiah. And you are transferring your allegiance to a different, even an imposing gospel. Not that there is or could be any other genuine gospel. But there are obviously some who are troubling and disturbing and bewildering you with a different kind of teaching, which they offer as a gospel and want to pervert and distort the gospel of Christ, the Messiah, into something which is it absolutely is not. But even if we, Paul says, or an angel, that's the spirit realm, from heaven, you understand there's three heaven realms. I said there's three heaven realms. theres We know this because Paul said, I know a man, whether in body or out of body, called him to the third heaven. Well, you can only say that if there was one and two. Gabriel, when he comes to talk to Daniel, is not fighting the devil in hell. Everybody acts like the devil's in hell. The devil's not in hell. He's in the heavens. So if an angel comes from heaven, all right, and should preach to you a gospel contrary or different from that which we preach to you, let him be accursed, devoted to destruction, doomed to eternal punishment. As we said before, and so I say now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel different from or contrary to that which you receive from us, let him be a curse. You know what's crazy? I had this thought growing up in the denominational church, you know, and then even after I went to other denominations because of other truths being exposed, and I accepted them as truths because they actually were truths, and then I continued to press on, and God began to continue to open up the Bible and show me things that are true. I need to get back to that comment about the kingdom that I was talking to Pastor Mark about. Um, But as I did that progression, I used to think that this was everyone who preached that Jesus was not the Son of God, that they were the denominations that didn't make him Son of God. I realize now that's not true. These are even people that do believe Jesus is the Messiah. But they're presenting our king in a light that he is not. So when the kingdom came to Anchor Bay Church in 2009, and we saw government for the first time. I was so jacked. And I was ready to preach. And I heard the Lord tell me. He says, you're not preaching this. I said, how can I not now that you've shown me? I said, this changes everything. This makes everything I know about the Bible even more strong. Every truth I know has become fortified now. He says, you you don't have it in you. So it took me a month. I didn't know it would take me a month, but it did. It took me a month. And after a month, the Lord let me release it. Once I released it, then I had those who went to the same Bible school I went to. I met with them on a weekly to monthly basis with this one thought, prove me wrong. I put the chat. prove me wrong. If I'm off, let's deal with it. Because it was so heavy, it's like, are we right? Because we're not hearing this. But you know what? The more they studied it, because real truth will be reinforced. If it's not truth, you will dismantle it. And I wasn't trying to say, I'm right, and if, y'all try to, if anyone can prove me wrong, I won't believe you. No, I was like, prove me wrong, prove me wrong. When it came to the subject of love, I sat on this thing for over a year. And then went to some before I ever preached it, to say, prove me wrong, get me off this thought, please. But the more they went into it, they were, you're right. Then I went outside my sphere of influence. I went to the national director of RHEMA, who was a teacher. Pastor Mark was in the meeting. We were at uh, lunch with him and told him. We said, talk to him about the kingdom. And everything we said, they would say, I can't say that's wrong. I can't say that's wrong. And they've been a Bible teacher for 30 plus years. Scholar. Then I went to Pastor Daryl Huffman, who will be here next week. I drove all the way to Huntington, West Virginia. We was passing pastor- I said, I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. He said, what do you want to know? And here we go. Because again, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Because there's nothing worse than preaching a lie. I mean, that make you a curse. But he couldn't because he had already had it himself. And as a result of it, we never turned our back. Because once we find truth, we don't ever pull away from truth. Ever. Right? So again, we can't be pulled away. The, the thing is, you have to examine. You have the reigning spirit, but there are other spirits. And the Bible is very clear that we have to do something about it. And I'm letting you know you can't do something if you're not trained. If you're not trained. I don't care how much you want to play football. I don't care how much you want to do something. You have to get trained in stuff. If you're going to be successful and conquer. And the devil... All he cares about with all of his demons is to kill, steal, and destroy. And they are very trained to destroy you. And we act like just because we're born again, they can't touch us. When we know that's not true, because many of them live like they're defeated all the time anyway. So 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says it this way, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. It implies that if it's not good, let it go. So just because you hear something doesn't mean you should take it. In fact, if I'm preaching something right now, you're like, I don't know. Write it down. It's okay. I'm not asking you to say, well, what he said has... No, write it down. And then go to the Lord and say, now, talk, walk me through this comment. Help me with this. Because at the end of the day, he cannot show you something different from me. There is no such thing in the body of Christ as we can agree to disagree. There's no such thing. How can we agree to disagree? Because our disagreement, somebody's wrong, and wrong is rebellion. Because your position, if it's different than mine concerning something God has said... Someone's in rebellion and disobedience, and someone's in obedience and faith. Amen. I get around other pastors in my community, and well, let's just, you know, let's just stay with you know what we can all agree on. Well, why can't we agree on whatever the Holy Ghost is teaching? So I some pastors I don't even hang out with them because I don't hang out with preschoolers. I don't. I don't hang out with preschoolers. I go in and, you know, say hey to them and and then leave. (laughs) Hallelujah. We have to explain everything. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13 to 14. He says this, and when he, the spirit of truth comes, what is he? The spirit of truth. Truth is not so much a thing as it is a person. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will speak and he will not speak of his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit is not talking to you about his own stuff. He's only telling you what the Word is saying. That's all he's going to disclose to you. So that's why Paul, in his letter to the church at Thessalonia, he said, listen, you got to examine everything carefully, because again, there are spirits out there, there are people that are listening, taking heed to certain things, and you just don't take everything someone says with a hallelujah, praise the Lord, because it sounded churchy or preachy or through some scripture in there. Now, if it's good, which means it lines up with the word, hold on to that thing. But if it doesn't, you get rid of it. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not saying, well, for this denomination, this is their truth. And for this denomination, this is their truth. And for this saint, this is their truth. But for you, this is your truth. No, he is the truth. And his truth is for everybody because he could not justly judge you if he had different truths for different people. This kind of preaching becomes difficult because it always moves to personal responsibility. Amen. But you can't function with a reigning spirit unless you do so. Going on, Hebrews thirteen seventeen says it this way. He says, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you, for they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with signing and groaning, for that would uh, not be profitable for you either. In essence, don't do to your pastors what his disciples did to him. <sighs> How much longer must I suffer with thee? That's what that and groaning look, sounds like. <sighs> How much longer must I suffer with you? Really? You're on the boat talking about bread. Have you forgotten about the five loaves and two fists that fed 5,000 men, and the other time we fed, you know, the 4,000 men had 12 baskets, seven baskets, and you still don't understand I'm really not talking about a loaf of bread here. <sighs> I'm keeping watch over your soul, and your soul is where your reasoning is. Training your thinking to release who you are in Christ. And that is the responsibility of your spiritual leaders. And we have no problem when coaches do it. But we have a big problem. Have you ever seen... um, What's the name of y'all's coach? Georgia coach. Huh? Kirby Smart. Okay. I don't have to remember his name. I don't like him. I don't like none of y'all. I don't like Georgia, right? I'm a Florida fan, so I'm anti-Georgia, right? Y'all are the antichrist. We're the believers. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Kirby Smart, have you ever seen him yell at a player? Have you written him a letter to be more kind to his players? Nope. Nope. Not at all. No, you don't care if he's screaming. You can even make out that he's not saying every word that's wholesome. All you care about is beating everyone and winning a national championship, of which the team does not know your name, know you exist, or that you're in the stands. However, we have an allegiance, right? I get it. And we will let him, and we want him, and we'll let coaches do it to our kids so that you can have bragging rights as a parent that your son won on the state football team or, or baseball team or your child won at soccer. But yet the minute the pastor shows up to say, now listen, you got to change the way you think about this. Y'all need to be at church on time. Right? How long is your child gonna play football at Lowndes High School or Valdosta High, which wins championships? If you tell the coach, now listen, we, you know, we're typically late. Oh, y'all don't want to hear this. I'm preaching. I'm preaching right now because you, y'all, 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 almost as bad as Alabama. You're not as bad as Alabama. You're almost as bad as Alabama because in Alabama, when they're in the pulpit, they'll say "Roll Tide" and "Hallelujah" in the same breath, people. I am an eyewitness to that, okay? I mean, it's hallelujah, Lord, roll tide. I mean, it's, right? If there was a fourth person of the Godhead in Alabama, it would be roll tide, right? But at the end of the day, if, you're, if the coach told your son, I can't play you, you come to practice 10 minutes late all the time. We're out there warming up and conditioning. What time service start? Oh, y'all can't even tell me? Now, you understand why do coaches keep players later? Because they didn't perform well. So the reason why I preach so long, because we're just trying to get some conditioning in. But we're like, Dad, I'm, I'm gassed. Wow, they've been out there for two hours practicing. He's going to make them do wind sprints? No. No, you're like, you better win, son. <laughs> and your son's like, I'm gassed. I need some sympathy somewhere. Do you hear what your coat, said? <laughs> okay, The passion says it this way, Obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority, for they keep watch over your soul without resting, since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. Again, the reason why we're teaching what we're teaching this year in the reigning spirit is because you're going to have to get trained in righteousness because we're moving quicker than ever into a global society that is going to tell you everything in Scripture is evil that is of God. And everything that is of the devil in scripture. Is actually good. And you will not tell the difference. Unless you come to practice. Your, your lone ranger Christianity. Will put you in the falling away category. Let me just say it this way. If you do not identify with a local ministry and you are passionate about being ever-present, you're subject to falling away. And you'd be offended by that all you want to. I'm just telling you the absolute truth. Because Jesus did not come to save the individual. He came to build his church. That is a collection of individuals coming together. So again, you know what one of the doctrines of demons is in the church? Would you please make Jesus your personal Savior? As if the only relationship with Jesus is personal. But your relationship is not just personal. Because you're supposed to be joined with other believers. It's actually supposed to be acknowledged. Set on a hill. Proclaimed declared lived out for the all the world to see there's a personal element yes but it was never designed for you personally so the devil keeps people off. Paul knew this more than anybody in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 30, said this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which you purchased with his own blood. He goes, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Wow. Because why? They're entertaining other spirits other than the Holy Spirit. And people will listen to other spirits if they have selfish ambitions. Are you hearing me? So, again, First Thessalonians 5.21 said it this way, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. It's our responsibility to examine, and we have to examine everything. The implication is carefully. You are to take an image of what you said. Then as a result of that, are you hearing me? Uh, as a result of that, we can hold to what's good and what's not good, we get rid of. But again, we won't even know good if we're not trained. Now, I'm going to set this context. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, jump back up to verse 12. I want to read this out of the Passion Translation real quick. And it says it this way. It says, because um, again, the context of examining everything. How do you know? How can you be a person who can examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good? Context is, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you show your deep appreciation for those who cherish you and diligently work as ministers among you. Ah, we're back to Hebrews, about your spiritual leaders, your coaches in righteousness who train you. Okay? He says, for they are your leaders who care for you, teach you, and stand before the Lord on your behalf. They value you with great love because of their service to you. Let peace reign among yourselves. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Be skilled at gently encouraging them to feel, uh, who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground. Help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. Resist revenge and make sure that no one pays eat back evil in place of evil But always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all the unbelievers. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always given thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Ghost. And don't be one who scorns prophecies, but... Be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test. Afterward, hold tightly to that what what has proven to be right. Avoid every appearance of evil. Now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed, the appearing. That's when you're going to be called up. And you need to be blameless in all three realms. Verse 24, the one who calls you by name is trustworthy and will thoroughly uh, complete his work. Notice, we are are not to scorn prophecies, but when it goes to talking about prophecies, it immediately goes in and says, now examine. Now examine. You need to understand, in the church, there are a lot of people that want a platform. And they'll call themselves so-called prophets, prophetesses. Okay? Because one of, the book, one of the churches in the book of Revelation, which this church exists in the latter days, is the church that tolerates the spirit of Jezebel, which is a woman with authority, but doesn't want the responsibility. In essence, it's borrowed authority. And the Bible says that the Lord let her stay in the church because he gave her time to repent. But when she would not, he addressed her and anyone else who wanted to continue to follow, all of them were going to be destroyed. In essence, receive what they sowed. And you understand this. You know, we make friends in the community, we make friends in church, we know people, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, you're not so close to me that if you say something to me outside of the Word of God, I'm going to accept it. Nor are you so close to me, nor any other minister, even the ones I respect. If they say something outside of the context of the Bible, I will not accept it. But I'm trained to be able to discern. But there are a lot of people who want to go rogue. They want their own ministries. They want to have their own conferences. They want to do their own thing. And they say they tap into the spirit because they want spiritual things. But the reality is they themselves aren't examining because they themselves aren't submitted to the word. How do I know they're not submitted? Because they're not submitted to a pastor. Now, there can be the appearance of pastoral submission because there's a lot of pastors who let the saints run over them. They let them come in. And there's, one, there's a quick way to manipulate a pastor in some places, and that is you make a lot of money and you bring in a lot of dollars and then tell them you have a ministry. So for the sake of not losing their giving, they give them platform. And they'll do stupid stuff. They'll bark like dogs. They'll bring in all kind of analogies like the prophets of old. They'll manipulate the crowd. And the reason they can do this is because they can get around. Are you ready? They can get around people who know salvation, water baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the laying on of hands can get you healed, appointed, and um, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They know that there's eternal judgment. They know it all that, but then they pull in because they can't see the spirit realm that those people are coming from, and they have no idea that it is not the Holy Ghost. Deception is going to get so bad because of the power of God that even the devil will work miracles, perceivably. Now, what do I mean by that? If the devil can come... And put sickness on a person. Because we know he can. Look how God, this is Acts 10, 38. Look how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, right? Woman's been over like this for years. And why has she been over? Because there's a spirit on her. But again, most people are like, well, just lay hands on the sick. Well, not everybody's sick. Some people are bound by a spirit. And again, you can't even, I don't want to hear this. Certain symptoms in your body naturally you don't want to hear this. There's a thing called the spirit of infirmity. Every time you go and take something, go to a doctor, you know, it leaves and then it comes back and it leaves and it manifests and all these different little symptoms. And you're like, man, it seemed like I just can't see. Well, it could be there's a spirit showing up and uh, trying to get on you and keep little symptoms and they can just do little stuff just to keep you a little off when you need to realize Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you have full-blown possession. That just means there's a spirit of infirmity trying to keep symptoms on you. And no matter what you're doing, naturally, guess what? You can't medicate it. Jesus understood when these spirits were in operation. So, again, think about it. Could the devil then perform the miraculous? If he had a spirit on a woman bent over, she's bound by it. And the devil says, get off her. It gets off. She straightens up. Because here's this false prophetess laying hands, and it's happened. Look at the miracles of God. Now, how do you know whether they're false? Because what's coming out of their mouth? Does it line up with the word? Because if it doesn't line up with the word, I don't care what you're seeing. Again, it's smoke and mirrors at that point. So the woman gets up. She's like this. Woo, but you don't hear a month later. That spirit brought seven more. And the last state of this one was worse, but we'll never hear that testimony. You know what you hear? The so-called, you know, false prophet, prophetess, you know. The, oh, we were in, you know, uh, Baudot, Georgia, and there was a person that was bound, you know, and the, we laid hands and they got healed. But you don't know that they're bound and they're even worse now. And then they'll say stuff from the scripture that's not even scriptural because we don't know the spirit realm now that's not to scare you because again we have the reigning spirit are you hearing me all right let's close this thing down so y'all be all right second corinthians 10 5 says we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to christ isn't that amazing He's telling you, because you have the third person of the Godhead, because you have the reigning spirit on the inside, you can take thought captive, every thought. You have to take the responsibility. The Holy Ghost cannot take your thoughts captive. The Holy Spirit can say, take that captive. And you have to say, that's right. I'm not going to entertain that because I just heard the Holy Ghost say, that isn't right. So you're coming down. You are not staying in my mind. I am not going to entertain you. I am not going to pay attention to your thoughts. That is not of God, and I don't care if it was thus saith the Lord. Throw on the backside of it. I don't care if it was a quoted scripture. You've quoted it out of context. I don't even care if your acknowledgement is there. Paul himself is in a a community, and this girl has a spirit on her, a demonic spirit, and is fortune telling. And she accurately, by that spirit, because that spirit knows the spirit in Paul is the Son of the Most High. And they said, This is the one who preaches concerning the Son of the Most High. And she is accurately correct. She does this for three days. I conclude that the Lord was like, tell that thing to shut up and quit advertising for me because Jesus did not want the devil advertising. They came up to him and they would say, son of the most high, have you come to torment me before? Are they accurate? Is that the truth? Absolutely. But the, the, the Lord does not want the devil to advertise because when he's out of pocket, that same spirit can come back and say, didn't we say because Paul's establishing a church in this community. And if he'd have let that go after he left a month, two, three months later, then she could have come back and say, did I not say that he worked not Did I not say, you know, I, and I myself. And now all of a sudden, the church is bewitched, cast a spell, because when Paul was here, all that she said was absolutely accurate. But Paul says, shut up and come out. And it left her. And he had a different issue after that. Are you hearing me? We have to take thoughts captive. We can take thoughts captive. How do you take thoughts captive? Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, Study earnestly, earnestly to present yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, 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 study. And studying means go on. Now, what do I mean by that? You could literally study the message of salvation basic math. I could get books after books and take test after test in basic math. I could constantly be doing equations. Two plus three equals five. And four minus one equals three. And two divided by one is two. And I could just keep doing basic arithmetic. My whole life. But then you do throw a a letter in there and start getting into algebra. Or you start running into quantum physics. Or you start getting into trigonometry calculus. Now all of a sudden it's just math. Well, I just want you to know, I'm just a simple man. I know arithmetic. Yet all the while you actually have capacity to know calculus. The only reason you don't know is because you don't study. That mean it's got to be easy. Nowhere did the Bible say it would be easy to study. But here's the thing, you have the greatest teacher. So at the end of the day, when he says study, he means go into other subject matters or go deeper into that subject so that you can get to a place of maturity. Because there's some believers their whole life will stay with just elementary teaching. And evil. Amen, y'all hearing it too. That's all right, but you can still hear me. Last verse is this: Ephesians 4:11 to16, I read it when I ministered over um, Pastor Ashley, but again, he gave us some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Notice, God gave those gifts. There are true apostles, true prophets, true evangelists, true pastors and true teachers. It is the devil that counterfeits those offices. And how do you know the difference between the counterfeit and the real? It's what are they saying. Is it in line with Scripture? And it goes on to say why they're here for the equipment of the saints. That's your training in righteousness so you can discern good and evil so that your reigning spirit can reign. Equipping the saints for the work of service to the building of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Our assignment is to mature you. I'm just going to be quite honest with you. The people who are no longer here are most, unless they have been planted somewhere specifically. But if they're in this community, and I know it's going to be a hard saying, but I'm just going to be honest. They rather stay immature. Because there's not too many houses, churches that is, that are trying to bring people to maturity. And I applaud your pastors, because that is a labor's work. Not everybody comes to Anchor Bay Church in St. Augustine. That's fine. And I'm not telling you I'm better than anyone. I'm just telling... I know, because I've been around, that many in my community are not training for maturity. They're training for exodus. If people in our community as believers were really serious about their spiritual growth and development, I'd be in the top two. I'm just telling you. Hallelujah. Because we have an assignment to mature us. To, to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here it is, verse 14. What's the result? You're no longer children. Tossed here and there by every waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Your greatest assets in the room right now are your pastors that want to partner with your growth and development. And at the end of the day, They are not on your field, but neither are the coaches. And when I say that, they're on the sideline. They're watching you in your game of life, and they can give you the plays to conquer. You work together. But instead, we're speaking the truth in love. We grow up in all aspects in him who is the head, even Christ, whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies according to the proper work of each indivisible part calls the growth of the body for the building up of, of itself in love. It is not my assignment as a pastor to win the lost because the reality is people can be won out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God by the preaching of the word that I preach but it's mainly the responsibility of the saints within our house to actually go and live a life of the kingdom in front of their community and their sphere of influence so much that they're bringing them into Jesus long more than I am. And the reality is my five-fold ministry gift is not the evangelist. I do the work of the evangelist. I do give altar calls. I will give one today if you're not the kingdom of God, and I've said enough to make you want to get in one. But at the end of the day, it is not the responsibility of the church only in fact, the responsibility of the church is to be the pillar in support of truth, which includes showing people that they are separated without Jesus and they need Jesus Christ as their Lord. But it is the doorway in. It is not the end. It is not the number one event. It is not the only event. It is the way into this kingdom. And now we're going to train you to grow up. We are going to be your coaches. We're going to help you to grow in righteousness so that People that are throwing scripture around and acting like they have great ministries, you know, and they're flowing and doing all this stuff that you'd be able to easily say, "Mm, yeah, that ain't right. Or, man, that's good. Wow, that was awesome. But even if they're accurate, it doesn't take you away from your assignment. That you're not chasing after every minister. One of the saddest indictments of churches, and it's in mine, when I say mine, you know, It's the Lord's church. I just pastor it. Is that people want to quote other ministers more than they do me. Yet they learn more from what we're saying. He should be your most quoted. Not the YouTube star TV minister. I know ministers that are quoting famous ministers all the time because they're hoping they'll see them. And get a call. On the one that's right here in your, in your every day. The one who's on the field with you all the time. And here's the thing that's different with, your, with us as coaches than the rest. Because there's very few, and there are some coaches that get in the weight room with their players. That run with their players. You know Nick Saban didn't do that. And you know Coach Smart is not doing that. He's not running wind sprints. So he is just giving instruction only. His body doesn't have to line up with theirs. But your pastors undergo the same training. They yield themselves to the whole thing. They're they're out running the sprints like you. They're out running the plays like you. They're out doing the whole thing. Because they themselves are in a game of life that they have a coach. Me as their apostle, and then we as our other apostle, Pastor Hagan, you know, are training us, and we're running those plays, and we're running those sprints, and we're getting up early, and we're doing what's necessary. Then we can come and coach you and say, don't talk to me. I just ran my 40 uh, last night, you know, where were you? While you were sleeping, I was running. So get out of here, let's do something. You got this thing. You can make this pass. You can catch that ball. You can overcome because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have the reigning spirit that's going to train your spirit, that's going to cause you to mature so that you can take over Valdosta and the real title town will come out of the church. Let us claim the victory that we actually have. Instead of it being known as a sports town, let it be known as a Holy Ghost, spirit-filled, fully matured. It's the next great move of God, and you're the champions that everybody wants to pile. And what would it look like that on Friday night a few people went to the game because everybody else was in a revival service? We might be getting somewhere. But that's because we're trained. To do it. Right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you. You're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We thank you for all that you're doing in Anchor Bay churches all over the world. And we're so thankful for what's happening in Maldosta. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the saints here. We thank you for the growth and development. We thank you for their pastors. Because they're living it every day. They're doing it. They're growing. They're training. And they know how to train. And so, Lord, I pray they submit to it. Submit to it with joy, knowing in those times of discomfort that it's just making them stronger so that they can overcome the wiles of the devil. They won't be seduced. They will not be numbered among the sum that fall away from the faith. Because we have the reigning spirit, we will allow the reigning spirit to reign in us so that our spirit can reign. And We thank him, praise you for it. We only listen to the word, and another we will not follow. So we will not be seduced by so-called false prophets, prophetesses, teachers, apostles, whatever. Because we know how to accurately divide, rightly divide the word of truth. Hallelujah. Father, we thank and praise you for it.